is a special presentation of World Footprints, the leader in socially responsible travel and lifestyle, with your award-winning hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, coming to you live from the city of New Orleans and the French Quarter Festival. And now, here are Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to World Footprints, the leading voice in socially responsible travel and lifestyle. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick, and I'm joined by my husband and co-host, Ian. And you know what it means, you know, when we do a a mid-April show, it means that we're back in our home away from home, New Orleans, for French Quarter Festival. And so for the next hour, we're going to let the good times roll as we broadcast live from Dickie Brennan's newest gem, Tableau, located at Jackson Square. And thank you, dear. We're always excited to be back in New Orleans this time for our seventh annual French Quarter Festival broadcast. We always look forward to returning to the French Quarter Festival every year and find new and exciting things to share about New Orleans, and this trip has been no different. Last year's show earned us a bronze award from the North American Travel Journalist Association, and this year's show we hope is worthy of a gold. This year we're going to take you on a deep exploration of New Orleans history. We'll introduce you to the historic New Orleans collection and the granddaughter of one of the famous Boswell sisters. You'll We'll also hear about a special anniversary that the World War II Museum is sharing with France, and we'll talk about New Orleans international outreach and find out what's new in New Orleans this year. You know, coming to New Orleans always gives us an opportunity to enjoy a small family reunion. We get to spend quality time with our new New Orleans families, our engineer, Ed Cole, who lives in Phoenix, Arizona, and always jumps at the opportunity to meet us here every year. Our moms, Minnie Johnson and Nancy Peterson, who have traveled once again from Michigan. And, in fact, my mom rescheduled her Caribbean cruise so it would not conflict with New Orleans. And we're welcoming two cousins from Houston, Texas, Kevin and Julie Fitzpatrick, who have traveled to celebrate this year's broadcast. This is certainly a family affair, and we thank you for welcoming us into your home today. So grab your Go Cup, sit back, and enjoy as we bring New Orleans to you again. I'm Tanya Fitzpatrick. And I'm Ian Fitzpatrick, and this is World Footprints. Visit and connect with us at worldfootprints.com. This segment is supported by the National Children's Cancer Society, improving the quality of life for children with cancer and their families worldwide. Please visit the nccs.org. That's the nccs.org today and show your support for the world's children with cancer. So speaking of family, we're happy to welcome back Kelly Schultz, Vice President of Communications and Public Relations at the New Orleans Convention and Visitors Bureau. And we're also pleased to welcome a new family member, Brad Weber, uh, Executive Vice President of the CVB. Welcome, both of you. Thank you very much. Happy French Quarter Fest. <laughs> uh, thank you, too. We had, uh, we had such, a, such a great kickoff uh, Thursday night when we got here at uh, Dominique's, and uh, that was wonderful. If I have to give a thumbs up for a wonderful restaurant in town, Dominic's. Is it? And, and Tableau. Don't and forget Tableau, our broadcast center here. Absolutely. So, you know, there's always a lot going on in New Orleans, and we'll talk about some of those exciting developments and your special news, Kelly, in a moment. Uh, but first, I'm interested. New Orleans is going international, and you two did a bit of jet setting, and you took the spirit of New Orleans to the Philippines. Brad, what was that trip about? You know, it was an incredible opportunity. 
it it stemmed from two consultants who were over in the Philippines helping them create their association marketplace, and they realized they were having tremendous issues with their brand due to the calamities of the hurricanes, the typhoon, as well as the earthquake. Mm-hmm. They reached out to us through the consultants to say, look, you've been through a lot in New Orleans. You had double calamities with Katrina as well as the BP oil spill. And can you just help us, give us some advice? And the next thing you know, we received an official invitation from the Tourism Promotion Board to fly over and actually speak with stakeholders. Um, And we did. We spent uh, nine days over there meeting with incredible, incredible um, movers and shakers of the Philippines in tourism. And, and did a lot of great work to help them rebuild their brand. Mm-hmm. Kelly, what surprised you the most about uh, the challenges that the Philippines faced? Well, their situation is very similar to New Orleans after Katrina, when we faced so many misperceptions, especially among visitors and travelers and special event and meeting organizers. You know, there was a portion of New Orleans where we are now, the beautiful historic French Quarter that was fine. But then there was also an outlying residential neighborhood, which is what everyone saw on television and saw the terrible flooding and destruction. So they are in a similar situation where many people hear the word the Philippines and they think the countries you can't visit. It's wiped off the map and it's it's the opposite. So Brad and I saw for ourselves these beautiful islands, beautiful places. They have hospitality there that is unlike anything I have ever seen. And I grew up in New Orleans. <laughs> so that's pretty amazing. But um, the people were just so gracious and so um, welcoming to me and Brad. And they I think are going to take our advice. You know, we shared with them the things we did in New Orleans after Katrina with marketing, PR, advertising, you know, working with convention organizers, all the things that we learned from our experience. And, you know, if you look at New Orleans today, it's absolutely thriving. So mm-hmm. um, hopefully the Philippines, our friends there will be able to put some things into practice and, and get their industry going again. Mm-hmm. Kelly, talk about how the trip to the Philippines impacted you personally. It, you know, it was just a life-changing experience. I think any time you travel that far um, around the world, you see things differently. You realize what a small world it really is and how especially our colleagues in the travel industry were so connected and had so many um, things in common. And it really was just um, a life-changing opportunity, especially Brad and I had the tremendous honor of meeting with the Secretary of Tourism, for the Philippines. Um, this gentleman, you know, this would be like going to Washington, D.C. and sitting down with one of President Obama's cabinet members. Mm. And he gave us his time. Usually these types of visits take about 10 minutes. He spent an hour with us and was so um, interested. He's a former advertising executive. Okay. So a lot of the advertising tools that we used in New Orleans after Katrina, we shared with him. He was just absolutely lovely and so welcoming and so interested in what we had to say. So I think that was really the, definitely for me, the highlight Mm -hmm. of our entire experience there. How about for you, Brad? You know, it was amazing to echo a bit on Kelly. Um, It did make me realize how small our world actually is. Uh, What I found to be most impactful was to do actual worthwhile work. I think we're all striving to do more of that. And it, it, it was. It was an incredible impact to do worthwhile work. So many times we have this issue of competition, and I believe in coopetition. You know, it's time for us to reach our arms around the globe and to work with others in need and to become that consultant and that advisor and that expert. 
So it was it was very emotional. It was very emotional to to be there. They were so warm. They're so happy. Um, but to do worthwhile work, I think, is the most important thing, and we're very blessed that we could do it. Indeed, and, and to be recognized for what you guys have done, you know, since uh, Katrina, and you know, to, and to be invited, you know, yes. and that had to have been a very transformative experience. So you can't Tremendous. go someplace like that, meet wonderful people, and see their challenges without it impacting you personally. Absolutely. Is there is there a a, a memorable experience that you had? One takeaway. Something that we can talk about on the air. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we not, spend, we're not bound by FCC. We spent nine role, days so. together. So, um. <laughs> you know, I think for me personally, it was um, I walked away from this experience, maybe going to walking away from material things and things that don't matter. Mm-hmm. These are people that lost a lot, and even those that weren't impacted directly, they view family, they view life. They view fun as the most important things. And so, you know what? I'm embracing life just a little bit more each day now since that experience. Mm. Cal? Well, you know, it was interesting when we were over there. One of the things that I remember is that Brad and I, just ironically, the timing of our visit fell right before a big fundraiser in New Orleans called NOLA Loves the Philippines. There's a woman here named Ella Delio who was from the Philippines. Mm. She married a man from New Orleans. And like everyone, she wanted to help the Philippines after this terrible disaster. So she decided to put together a fundraiser and raise money for boats for the fishermen who lost their livelihoods. And she is an amazing woman, put together this unbelievable fundraiser. And their goal was to raise about $25,000, which would I think buy um, a a dozen or so boats. And they raised $75,000 and the money is still coming in. So when Brad and I were there, we would talk to our audiences about you know, we were here to share tourism advice, but we wanted to let them know that there was a group of people back in New Orleans putting together a fundraiser for the Philippines. And when we would say that, they all would get tears, tears in their eyes. eyes. They would start clapping. They were so touched knowing that, you know, there were people literally on the other side of the world who they will never meet, mm-hmm. but were just helping them to give back. And that was a, a special part of the trip. Well, you know, I mean, so that's very indicative of our belief that the citizens of New Orleans are fantastic global citizens. And Absolutely. that's why I think we, uh, the city resonates with, with us. Um, you know, and the word on New Orleans is making its way around the world, um, even to Sochi, Russia, where we came from. And we shared a lot of buttons with uh, <laughs> Russians who had never heard of New Orleans but are interested because they like the fleur-de-lis design on the buttons. You guys are our best ambassadors. Exactly. We appreciate yes. that everywhere you, you go You make in our the jobs world. easy. You have such a wonderful city to... Uh share with the rest of the world Thank yeah you. yeah and and you know and even um i understand that an australian travel-based company has recognized uh called flight center has recognized new orleans as a, a top destination for this year you know we have won so many awards um just last week actually we were named by TripAdvisor as the number five place to visit in the country Last year in that survey, we were number 10, so we've moved up five spots, which is excellent. 
National Geographic traveler named us one of the must-see places to visit in the world mm-hmm. for 2014. Um, just so many honors. Well, and who can forget that Glamour magazine just named us one of the top bachelorette destinations. So. Oh, my goodness. Does that mean we're going to see New Orleans on the bachelorette? <laughs> Stay tuned. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. <laughs> there have been so many um, awards. And, you know, one of them, Coastal Living Magazine, um, put us on a list of six trips that will change your life. And mm. you guys know, and your moms know, what a magical place this is. Mm-hmm. And that when you leave here, you know, we often hear from our visitors who come in, when they get back home, they'll email us and say, I'm really sad to be home. Because my experience in New Orleans was so special. And Indeed. I think that's part of the, the magic of this place. And one of the things about New Orleans, as, as we know, since... Uh, post-Katrina, things have, the tourism industry here is at an all-time high, and it's easier to get here than ever before, and Brad and Tanya and I had the pleasure to share a flight from Washington to uh, New Orleans the other day, and uh, air service is going to be expanding thanks to Southwest and uh, some of the new slots that it acquired at uh, Reagan National, and so we're going to have, I think, two new non-stops from DCA to New Orleans, which I'm excited about. Absolutely. Well, and I think also another important thing about the the air, um, we're very excited. In 2018, we'll have built a brand new airport. Mm -hmm. And we will have the most state-of-the-art, sophisticated airport in North America. And this will only do more to help attract additional flights, get more international exposure as well. Yeah, and, you know, if if people don't remember the history, New Orleans was a very important air hub, particularly to Central and South America. And there were times when you would have to connect to... uh, through New Orleans to get to places like London, Paris, exactly. and Frankfurt, thanks to national airlines, if anyone can remember them. <laughs> yes. But uh, uh, so, so hopefully this new terminal will help bring a higher level of international service uh, here. Yeah, there's also an effort underway. We have a delegation that's been going overseas and meeting with some airline partners and trying to get um, nonstop direct service from New Orleans to Europe. So hopefully oh. we'll have some news on that soon but it's really exciting very exciting fingers crossed and i tell you what however southwest could have come in a little bit earlier so that we would have benefited (laughs) on this trip (laughs) so what what's new Uh, you know there's always something coming up for new orleans do you guys have a new favorite development or attraction that's coming this year because there's always something well, I think the airport is huge. You know, Brad yeah. talked about that. That is really a game changer for us for um, not only tourism, but for our business community. You know, one of the great, great things that has happened in post-Katrina New Orleans is this influx of entrepreneurs and young professionals and mm. new businesses. And it has really changed, you know, the landscape of the city for locals and, and all, especially for visitors and business travelers. Yeah, there's a, you know, it's really interesting, especially in the media and event market. Um, you know, there's been a lot of scrutiny on, on travel for, for conventions. Mm-hmm. And what's happened with New Orleans is that we believe, you know, get down to business, then get down. And that's really <laughs> been working well for us. And more and more, um, you know, clients are selecting us. And, you know, and, and the thing I think for, for me personally is, Seeing the the unbelievable unique restaurants that are moving into the city. I mean, thirteen hundred new restaurants. Wow! And these are non chain restaurants. These are all unique individual restaurants. 
So, I mean, uh, you know, Food and Wine just acknowledged that we're, we're now the number one Epicurean city in America. Of course. Well, I, I would almost argue the world. I mean, <laughs> yes, how can I you eat your way through the city in a year? You can't. <laughs> no, but unless you have a good tailor. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Well, listen, Kelly and Brad um, are going to stay with us for the duration of the show. And so we'll learn more about the exciting developments New Orleans is experiencing later on. Uh, and we'll also learn about a controversy that Hulk Hogan recently stay, uh, stirred up. So stay tuned. Um, but first, we're going to take a quick break. So refresh your Go Cup and join us on the other side of this break. DiscountFlights.com is an airfare search engine that makes looking for airfares both quick and easy. When you use DiscountFlights.com, the site searches hundreds of airline and major travel sites for real-time fares and then presents the results in a simple, clean, and easy-to-understand format. DiscountFlights.com offers an ideal alternative for travelers who are flexible with their travel dates and are looking for the best overall travel deals. All our advertisers' fare deals include taxes, unlike some other sites, and we offer consumer flight options based on price, dates of travel, and airlines. DiscountFlights.com works with its partners to supply travelers with the best travel deals to worldwide destinations. We help you decide which flights are right for you and show you where. You can book those flights for the best available price, so why wait? Visit www.discountflights.com. Poaching is a major threat to our country's wildlife. I'm Tom Barry, and I'm an actor reaching out with the Humane Society Wildlife Land Trust, which works with private landowners to protect wildlife, preserve natural habitats, and create permanent sanctuaries. To learn more, call 800-729-SAVE or visit wildlifelandtrust.org. Thank you. places around the world that you go and you just enjoy yourself, but there's nothing in the world that touches me like home. Charmaine Neville is an activist, an educator, <laughs> and she's fine. <laughs> oh, oh, and he's and so and he is smooth. Okay. He, is he is smooth. And married. <laughs> and married. And she's fine. <laughs> this New Orleans, baby, let's not get into the marriage. This is New Orleans. <laughs> let's talk about some other things you can get when you come to New Orleans, baby. We're a free society, baby. You're listening to World Footprints, exclusive coverage of this year's French Quarter Festival, live from the Big Easy, New Orleans, Louisiana. Let's welcome back your hosts, Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. And welcome back to World Footprints as we come to you live from the 31st Annual French Quarter Festival, right in the heart of the French Quarter here in New Orleans, as we come to you from Tableau in the heart of Jackson Square. That was a flashback from... 2009 with one of the most uh, humorous moments that we've had on our shows from New Orleans. I will never forget uh, Erwin Mayfield and Charmaine and uh, just that... Just that conversation, you know. Uh, that was quite a bit from the cultural ambassador for the city. 
Yeah. Indeed. You know, few cities compare with New Orleans in honoring homegrown musical legends. And this year, the historical New Orleans collection is paying homage to the famous Boswell sisters who vaulted to fame in the 1920s and 30s. And we're joined by Mark Cave from the historic New Orleans collection who curated the Boswell sister exhibition. And we're so happy to welcome Kyla Titus, author of Shout, Sister, Shout, and granddaughter of Vet Boswell. Welcome to you both. Thank you, Tanya. So, Mark, the Historic New Orleans Collection is one of New Orleans, I think, best-kept secrets for tourists. Um, And even though you've been around for decades, I only discovered you guys last year. What what is the Historic Collections? Explain Um, this to our audience. Well, we're a museum, research center, and publisher devoted to the history and culture of New Orleans. And so what we do is we comb the world and try to find anything that documents our our history and then we bring it back home Mm. and then we mount exhibits like we did with the boswell sisters um to teach you know people in our city and people who visit our city Mm -hmm. about our history and culture and we got a call from kyla back in 2010 um and her mother had created this boswell sisters museum in upstate new york where they had gathered everything together in one place from all three sisters um and like we got the call and we said oh this might this might turn out to be nothing but we <laughs> we went up there anyway and we took a look at what was in kyla's house and it was incredible it was tens of thousands of items that document uh the boswell sisters career and so we packed it up and we brought it down to New Orleans and we've been planning this exhibition ever since. Oh, it's wonderful. You know, while doing some research, I've learned about an underground society called the Bozzies. <laughs> Have you discovered any interesting stories through this exhibition from visitors? Um, we, we discovered how fanatical the Bozzies are. <laughs> They're just a, a real... Um, energetic group of fans that have sort of maintained this Mm -hmm. legacy when most of us had forgotten about them. Um, And Kyla's been very important in keeping that legacy alive as well. Indeed. Now, now Mark, you uh, touched on uh, the Boswell sisters, and uh, I I heard the tie to New York, and I'd like to find out more about that in uh, New Orleans as well, but what was the inspiration behind the exhibition? Um, it was the the acquisition of mm-hmm. this this archive primarily, um, and our realization that they had largely been forgotten about. You know, the the Andrews sisters, which Kyla will explain, kind of followed in their coattails, mm-hmm. and uh, they were so popular in the 1940s that a lot of people forgot um, about the Boswell sisters, and they were really the originators of that vocal harmony style that we associate with the Andrews sisters. Mm-hmm. And- Kyla, you're, you're the granddaughter, as you mentioned, of uh, Vet Boswell. What was it like for you growing up in a legendary musical family? Eventually a lot of fun, but as a child I had no idea what my family had done. It, it was They were just normal grandmother and great aunts. Mm-hmm. But uh, eventually it dawned on me that there was something special here, and the household was always filled with with music and laughter and some of the qualities that really made the Boswell music special. So the music bug didn't bite you? Well, it did, and uh, my grandmother and I were very close uh, for for much of my, my, all of my childhood and uh, part of my adulthood as well, and uh, she and I used to sing together, and she taught me a few instruments and so there was music involved definitely mm-hmm. uh, she was quite a quite a funny lady and a musical lady and 
it was interesting. You know, as, as Brad mentioned earlier, uh, just a few seconds ago, that you know the Boswell sisters aren't as well known, perhaps, as the Andrew sisters and other other artists who actually um, paid homage to them, like Ella Fitzgerald and other greats. And I'm curious, from you know. Uh, talking to, uh, we have Kelly and Brad who are still with us, and Kelly's a homegrown New Orleans girl, and, and Brad has been a part of the New Orleans family for years. What did you guys know of the Boswell sisters? You know, for me, I it's funny, after hearing about this, I researched and I realized I never really knew the concept or the connection, and as soon as I looked it up, I'm like, oh my gosh, I've heard this music, I've mm-hmm. been part of Growing up in other parts of the country as well, it's 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 a fiber here in our country. It's, it's a family. It's a wonderful legacy. Well, and I think it's just you know, like you said, Tanya, you guys have this is your seventh annual French Quarter Fest broadcast. You're huge fans of the city, and you didn't realize that the historic New Orleans collection was, existed and mm-hmm. since last year. So right. that it's such a gem, and there's so many wonderful stories like this that even you know New Orleanians like me don't even know about so that's why it's such a treasure for visitors and we do a thing every summer called be a tourist in your hometown and we encourage locals to get out and really just remember what a special place this is and to get out and and go to the historic New Orleans collection and to learn about all the different museums and things that maybe even as locals we don't take advantage of as much as we should Kyla you wrote the book Shout Sister Shout and this is a fantastic book that puts a wonderful spotlight on uh, the Boswell sisters. Tell us about the book and the perspective that it was written from. Actually, the book has not been finished yet, and okay. so the title is, uh, we're unclear as to it's whether... It's still a working can, it's, title. It's a, it's a work in progress. It's just about done, and um, I hope to have it finished this by the summer. Okay. Um, but um, it was actually a project that my mother began. Uh, she collected a lot of these artifacts, some of which are, are now at the uh, historic New Orleans collection. And uh, I also retain a large family collection as well, which eventually will be donated to the HNOC. And um, I've used it for the research for the book, as well as multiple uh, projects, uh, some of which we're working on now and some will come in the future, including trying to um, develop a closing event uh, that will be bringing artists from around the world that sing the Boswell Harmony. Mm. So we're really looking forward to that as well. And I'll be sharing some of these artifacts with them. And, of course, the uh, HNOC exhibit also has a lot of information. Primarily, they have the information, artifacts, articles, fan letters, and everything relating to their public career. And, and I retain what is private, but that also, of course, uh, talks and, or speaks to uh, who they were and and how they developed. And uh, so the book really goes back into the history of the family and where they came from, their roots, and their parents were very musical. Uh, and so the, the children grew up with, with a barbershop quartet and all kinds of instruments and a very, very way ahead of her time a mother who... Uh, married late, actually, which was very unusual, and uh, she went around and performed herself. And uh, so, and of course, being in New Orleans too, they came uh, almost exactly 100 years ago to this city. So the celebration of them is is very appropriate at this time. Uh, but the book would would really detail the history and uh, leading up to just about the end of their career. Uh, and it was what I liken to a musical supernova. 
And I think the part of the reason they're forgotten is that so many people tried to imitate them and tried to, uh, you know, copy their style and sing in harmony. It's a, the way they sang, that tight harmony, and also with the jazz uh, improvisational aspect. It was very difficult, and not a lot of people could do it. Mm-hmm. The Andrew sisters were able to popularize that style, and they could never really come as close, you know, to, to the perfect harmony that, that I, I like to say it's perfect anyway. It certainly has been unmatchable, but, um, but they definitely hit a kind of popular nerve at the time. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, too, is that they, all three of them were able to dance and, and walk, mm-hmm. and Connie Boswell was not able to walk. So it was very difficult for them struggling through going out on uh, the road in um, um, 1928 uh, and 29. Mm-hmm. It was a very difficult time, in, you know, for them to travel with a person who couldn't walk. Yeah. And uh, they were also very young. They were three young, young girls, and they they did this incredible journey. And uh, but their product was so needed back then, and and so top-notch uh, that it didn't take long for them to soar. Now, you talk about the Boswell sisters as being musicians. What does that mean and help help our audience understand that they were not just singers? Actually, musicians, musicians. Exactly, exactly. Well, they were trained classically from a very, very early age. Uh, and But the, when they moved to New Orleans in uh, 1914, they uh, just absorbed the influences of the city musically, uh, but also, to a certain extent, their spirit was, was one that was very much New Orleans. And growing up in New York with my grandmother, who, you know, she just always talked about the city and how, uh, how she loved it. You know, they none of them were born here, but they always claimed they were born here. <laughs> uh, they even put it on their passports, and yeah, yeah. So they just had a love for this city, and I had never, I hadn't been here until 2012. But I'd heard stories about uh, the city from my grandmother and uh, and my aunt. I knew Aunt Connie as well, uh, and the way she described it. So I had this kind of. Um, these stories that were passed to me Mm -hmm. and after everybody that had known them except for me you know had passed I came to the city and I said I need to experience the city Mm -hmm. I need to find out what it is that my grandmother described Mm -hmm. and and how it relates to what I was hoping would lead me to finish the book uh, you know and become involved with the uh, historic New Orleans collection and the donation of the materials so it was um, it was quite a journey for me. It was very personal, and uh, I still could feel that quality in mm-hmm. the city. Mm-hmm. It was now, very. Kyla, you and Mark have, have have mentioned the New York roots of uh, the Boswell sisters. Could you briefly talk about those? Absolutely. It, well, it, back in the day when they uh, were in California, New York was the place to go for recording and radio. So naturally, they uh, they were led to New York, and they basically stayed there ever since. And when Connie embarked on her solo career, she, of course, stayed in New York. So the whole family really ended up there because of New York City being the hub for radio and recording at the time. 
Okay. Mar, I'm just curious. What are some of the artifacts that you have in the, uh, at the collection uh, for this exhibit? Well, cho- choosing the artifacts for the exhibit was really hard because there's only about uh, 100 in the exhibition, but there's just thousands and thousands in the actual archive that we mm-hmm. have. Um, I really like the uh, childhood recital um, brochures that mm-hmm. we have that document their childhood growing up uh, in, in New Orleans. Uh, they were taught by Otto Fink, who was a, a German immigrant to the city, who was the cellist at the French Opera House. So it really shows that link that they had to the rich classical traditions of music in New Orleans in the 19th century. Um, and as they were growing up, they were influenced by all these young jazz musicians who they heard as a teenager and, mm-hmm. you know, really started to become a different a different act. And uh, we have Connie's wheelchair in the exhibition, which, you know, we didn't want to headline that, but it's an sure. important part of, of their struggle as a group. Um, we have an, an old radio that belonged to the family. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have all these wonderful fan letters that are, are illustrated. You know, they had such young, smart, interesting fans. Um, and uh, one of my colleagues, Amy Everett, went and researched the stories behind all these different fans. So it gives you kind of an idea of who liked their music. And, you know, some of them went on to be cartoonists for Disney later in life. You know, the fans were so young, um, some 16, 17 years old. Um, so that, that's one of the things that I really like. Now, Kyla, we talked a little bit uh, earlier about some of the greats that um, actually modeled maybe some of their style uh, after the Boswell sisters and and really paid homage to them. I mean, greats like Ella Fitzgerald, um, Bing Crosby even, and and of course the Andrews sisters, which uh, we talked about a little bit earlier. And and it's befuddling to me that the Boswell sisters aren't more better known uh, these days but are you seeing maybe with the exhibition and the support of you know New Orleans uh, a sea change with absolutely. their recognition okay. oh absolutely uh, it, it's been a process for a lot of reasons it's taken many decades again the the Bozzi fans have been wonderful and in, in <laughs> keeping this alive of course the work that the family has done as well uh, so together we've we've been working for decades literally to uh, help people learn about the music because it is not only so wonderful in such wonderful music it, it's symbolic of of working together and in harmony mm-hmm. and um i always say that people don't just like the boswell music they love it mm-hmm. once you hear it you become infected with it you cannot help but tap your foot or try to sing or you know it, it's incredible it's mm-hmm. it's a very uplifting happy kind of music and this is why they became I think uh, one of the reasons, anyway, so incredibly unpopular during the Depression. We get emails today from people that are explaining how the, how much the music meant to them, mm-hmm. that it uplifted, you know, it was uplifting, and it helped them feel better uh, during a really dark time in our history. So, and not only that, but the the bringing together of all of these different musical influences. What better city than New Orleans, you right. know? Uh, it, it just is a truly American city and it's an American form of music mm-hmm. and it's it's one that it just needs to be recognized, you know, this close harmony uh, but I think musicians, as you said, musicians appreciate them. They they uh, respect them. Mm-hmm. And in fact, uh, the sisters recorded with some of what would become the jazz and swing greats. 
uh, you know, they had working in their house orchestra, uh, the Dorsey Brothers, uh, Benny Goodman, Artie Shaw. You know, an incredible list. And in fact, I kind of like my <laughs> like to say my grandmother always said that Benny Goodman was was one of the preferred substitutes. You know, <laughs> they call him in. You know, to, to kind of fill in. And wow, he, absolutely. And they at the uh, end of the recording session of When I Take My Sugar to Tea, which was done in 1931 in New York, they. Uh, the boys in the orchestra all stood up and gave the Boswell sisters a standing ovation. Oh, bless. Are there any contemporary artists that are modeling their style? Because maybe, you know, that will, Brad and Kelly will kind of recognize uh, when when they hear. I, Brad, Absolutely. you said you mentioned, or you've heard their music, but I don't, Kelly hasn't, so maybe. Well, I think the first group that we, we need to mention is the Fister Sisters of New Orleans, and uh-huh. because they've they've carried this, this style through uh, for over 35 years in this city uh, and they've also performed uh, performed outside of the city as well and they've even taken it to an international level as well so they've been instrumental in helping uh, to be the actual voice <laughs> in a okay. sense and uh, but there are so many others too numerous to name but currently um, I would say that modern artists that respect the Boswell sisters one would be Winona Judd Uh, you know she's always given credit to them Bette Midler has given credit to them Um, she was uh, last year I think on song travels with um, Michael Feinstein and mentioned the Boswell's uh, she had a song of theirs on her top picks. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, so. uh, wonderful, and thank you so much. Mark Cave is the curator of the Boswell Sisters exhibition at the Historic New Orleans Collection, and Kyla Titus, who has such a beautiful voice and is probably a singer herself and should be a radio host, <laughs> um, is the granddaughter of Vette Boswell and author of Shout, Sisters Th- Shout, Sister Shout. Thank you both so much for joining thank us today. Thank you, Tanya. Thank you, Ian. And we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to explore a historical milestone with the National World War II Museum in New Orleans as World Footprints continues from the French Quarter Festival. UK free 19 women who were forced to work as prostitutes. Nigerian officials save more than 100 children from traffickers. And in China, officers rescue 53 baby boys who were due to be sold by a trafficking ring. Human trafficking affects every country in the world, but by joining forces we can fight this crime. Support the United Nations Global Initiative to Fight Human Trafficking, ungift.org. Don't have the time to give back to the community? No time to socialize or network? Then volunteer with OneBrick. Volunteer only when it fits your schedule, and then join us for food, drinks, and great conversation afterwards. It's a great way to meet new people, have fun, and help the community. Join us at www.onebrick.org. That's www.onebrick.org. OneBrick. Volunteering made easy. My father had prostate cancer. My grandfather, two great uncles, died from it. I wish I'd known about the family history, but it just wasn't talked about. My name's Lonnie. I had my prostate removed in May of 1995, and I'm still here. 
So there is life after prostate cancer. I'm living proof. One thing I would want to share with any man that thinks that he may have prostate cancer is number one, get it checked. Secondly, you have time after the diagnosis. Read, learn, go talk with your doctor and make some decisions because knowledge is power. It cannot be understated, you know. Prostate cancer is the most common cancer among men in Michigan. If you've been diagnosed, talk with your health care provider about your options and visit prostatecancerdecision.org today. Sponsored by the Michigan Department of Community Health, the Michigan Cancer Consortium, and the Michigan Association of Broadcasters. In Italy, police smash an international human trafficking ring. Officials in India announce over a thousand human traffickers arrested this year. And authorities in Peru charge a man and his wife with trafficking babies to Europeans through the Internet. Human traffickers are active all over the world. But by joining forces, we can stop these criminals. Support the United Nations Global Initiative to Fight Human Trafficking. UNGIFT.org Are you planning a vacation, a business trip, or a honeymoon abroad? Want to enhance your trip and make a meaningful contribution to the places you visit? Packforapurpose.org can show you how. Before you travel, visit packforapurpose.org. It's easy to make a big impact. Take your seconds any day, you know what oh. I'm saying? Well, man, how y'all been? Good? Oh, we're great. Are right. y'all enjoying yourself? We, we are, are loving it. Time. And uh, you folks know how to take care of folks. Yeah, I'm you know, you haven't seen anything yet because I ordered some special weather for you. You're listening to World Footprints exclusive coverage of this year's French Quarter Festival live from the Big Easy New Orleans, Louisiana. Let's welcome back your hosts. Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick. And welcome back, everybody. I'm Ian Fitzpatrick here along with Tanya Fitzpatrick and a whole bunch of other Fitzpatricks, too, as we come to you live from the 31st French Quarter Festival right here from Tableau here in New Orleans. And before we kick off our next segment, I just want to say hello to my peeps, Kevin and Julie Fitzpatrick, all the way in from Houston, Texas. And it's so great to see you. We haven't seen these guys since January when we said goodbye to them. Thank you for being with us this morning, Kevin and Julie. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Are you guys having a good time in New Orleans? I know you rolled in a little late last night and uh, saw the quarter and uh, visited the casino. Yes, we are having a wonderful time. Now, Kev, I understand this is your first time in New Orleans, is that correct? No, I've actually been here before. Okay, Okay, so Bourbon Street was just an excuse. It was was a first time at Harris last night, uh, (laughs) as they took some of my money last night. Oh, well, hey, we're just pump-priming the economy as best as we can. So, as we know, New Orleans is a very historical city, 
And one of those things that adds to this historical luster is not just the French Quarter, but the collection of museums. And one of those is the National World War II Museum. And it's one of our favorites. Author and historian Stephen Ambrose founded the museum in order to tell the story of the American experience in World War II that ultimately changed the world. And why the museum is an extraordinary place that many think New Orleans is an unlikely setting for such a national World War II museum. Joining us now is Alan Raphael with the National World War II Museum, and he joins us to connect the dots between New Orleans and World War II. Um, Alan, welcome to World Footprints. Thank you. Tell us, why did Stephen Ambrose chose New Orleans as the site for this museum? Well, it wasn't actually his choosing. Um, The story goes back to uh, President Dwight D. Eisenhower. Uh, He was, of course, the Supreme Allied Commander during World War II. And after his presidency, he was looking for someone to edit his uh, presidential papers, interviewed several candidates, one of which was Stephen Ambrose. Ambrose had written a book uh, on a Civil War general named Halleck uh, on the Union side, unfortunately. And... um, Eisenhower read the book, loved the book, and uh, noticed uh, during the end of the resume, end of the uh, interview, that the resume said Ambrose was teaching at the University of New Orleans. He asked, "Did you ever meet a gentleman named Andrew Jackson Higgins?" and uh, Ambrose replied, well, no, sir, I never met him. Uh, He died before I got to New Orleans. And Eisenhower's response was, well, that's too bad because he's the man that won the war for us, or a paraphrase of that. Of course, Andrew Higgins was the man who invented the Higgins boat, as uh, known by all of the uh, soldiers that used it, LCVP in military terms, landed craft vehicle slash personnel. And uh, it turns out that uh, just over 20,000 of those vehicles were designed and built here in New Orleans by... By Andrew Jackson Higgins in seven factories around the city, employing about 30,000 people, and another 25,000 were contractors to Andrew Higgins. So he basically, along with a few other manufacturing during the war, was the economy in New Orleans and a very important part of the Allied victory. Now, Alan, tell us, you know, this year the World War, uh, or the world actually, will celebrate the 70th anniversary of the invasion at Normandy. What are some of the events that the museum is planning to commemorate this? Well, uh, first of all, we have a uh, a cruise ship that will be going over with several dignitaries, including Tom Brokaw and our uh, museum president, CEO, Dr. Mueller. And uh, those folks will participate in the actual 70th anniversary of the D-Day celebrations at Norman. And this is the same cruise ship that I'm trying to talk you into taking this great radio broadcast with, yes. Well, um, as it said, uh, that's on a higher pay grade than I, so you're going to have to talk to some other folks. But uh, nonetheless, it will be a great experience for those folks. But we will also, at the museum, commemorate D-Day, as we always do. Mm -hmm. Uh, We started out as the National. D-Day Museum uh, to tell the story of Andrew Higgins and the Higgins boats and we will continue to do that as the National World War II Museum. We'll have a uh, H-hour celebration uh, the morning of June 6th just as uh, the troops would have been hitting the beaches. We'll have moments of silence for that and then of course a full day of uh, lectures and musical um, celebrations, if you will, uh, to commemorate uh, June 6th. Okay. Now, Brad, you... You're a higher pay grade, aren't you? Executive <laughs> vice president. <laughs> Not that high. 
You know, the the thing I love about this museum, again, you know, it's in New Orleans, um, which a lot of people, again, you know, question why New Orleans, World War II. Um, But but people, real big names have been involved. Steven Spielberg and others in the 4D theater, which Mm -hmm. is one of my favorite uh, exhibits or attractions at the museum. Wouldn't you agree, Brad? Absolutely. I mean, that... You know, it's interesting. I spent a great deal of time traveling all over the country, and people are very surprised when they really understand and, and hear about the World War II Museum being here, particularly those in Washington that are so familiar with the Smithsonian, and, and they're just surprised that that's there. Um, and for, from a convention bureau standpoint, the space is magnificent for mm-hmm. incredible parties, themes. And, but it also touches you when you're there. I've been there many times to see vets come through and to see the emotion. And it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful experience. Indeed, indeed. Um, Alan, what are some of the other uh, events that you're going to be having this year in commemoration? Well, um, you know, we do celebrations on just about any of the uh, World War II anniversaries. Uh, we usually have something to do with uh, certain battles. Uh, we have an international conference each year that tracks uh, right now the four years of or five years of World War II. Um, and we're on the fourth year now uh, going with 2014 and 1944. Uh, our international conference was held with all kinds of authors. And uh, it's a real World War II junkie celebration. So uh, lots of folks involved there. And... Um, you know, just we celebrate the American spirit all the time with our stage door canteen and our victory bells and ongoing entertainment uh, each weekend. And uh, we have a, a Wednesday um, matinee with the victory bells. I noticed the earlier interview with the Boswell sisters, of course. Uh, the Boswell sisters started it. The Andrews uh-huh. sisters kind of stole it. And uh-huh. uh, we continue that tradition with the uh, victory bells at the, the National World War II Museum. They're one of our best ambassadors, like Cuba than I am, I'll tell you, and they can sing, too. <laughs> yeah. And we're speaking with Alan Raphael of the National World War II Museum here in New Orleans. Uh, Alan, you touched about uh, the relationship of the Higgins boat to New Orleans. Give us more of a history about why the boat uh, was made here in New Orleans sure. and kind of the impact the boat had on our military forces? Well, it uh, goes back uh, to the story of Andrew Jackson Higgins. Um, he um, actually grew up in Nebraska and uh, built a sailboat in the basement of his mother's house and uh, couldn't get it out because it was too big. So he had to get the Huck Finn treatment with some of his friends. They broke out the wall, got the boat out, uh, built the wall back before she got back from her shopping trip, and then he sailed it on a lake in Nebraska. Well, who knew there was a lake in Nebraska? I didn't. But uh, he kept uh, moving forward uh, with his career. He did uh, serve some time in the military, ended up down in Mobile. Alabama um, and found a piece of timberland that was unharvestable and uh, he figured well I've got to figure out a way to do this and he invented this shallow draft boat or the first uh, iteration of it and was able to harvest that timber and that staked him to uh, his boat building careers that went forward um, as World War II came around, he had already sold boats to the Corps of Engineers and oil uh, exploration, timber exploration folks, and he knew he had the goods and uh, had a difficult time breaking through all of the red tape to get uh, to the folks uh, that made the decisions, but he finally did that helping with the help of General Howland Mad Smith from the uh, Marine Corps. And... Um, 
the boats won the trial and uh, even saved a couple of the crews where their boats had overturned. And uh, he got the contract and started uh, beefing up his uh, manufacturing uh, here in New Orleans. As I said, he ended up with seven different factories. Uh, they produced the uh, Higgins boat, of course. Uh, Later uh, iterations were the LCM, landing craft uh, mechanized. Those were for the Sherman tanks and the big trucks. And um, then, of course, the PT boats. Uh, we have one under renovation uh, at this point in our John Kushner Restoration Pavilion. It's probably about a five-year project. We're probably about three and a half, uh, almost four years through that. Um, but uh, those became the popular uh, boat. Uh, they, mm-hmm. of course, were used at the Normandy landings and all 53 landings in the uh, Japanese or Pacific theaters, I should say. And uh, they became really, uh, according to Eisenhower, again, uh, the way we won the war. Really changed the way that uh, battles were fought. You used to have to go bomb the heck out of a port city, and by the time you did that, there was nothing left. With this, you can pick an open stretch of beach, which they did at Normandy and uh, land the troops. Uh, About 38 guys can uh, be fully uh, dressed up in all of their uh, military equipment and get off of the boat in less than 20 seconds. So that's a pretty uh, astounding and formidable force. Uh, Of course, uh, at Normandy, the Germans were certainly ready for us, but... um, if you do enough waves, you get enough guys on shore, and uh, you win the day, and that's Mm -hmm. what happened. Kev, I'm just curious, as a um, not first-time visitor to New Orleans, have you have you participated, have you uh, attended the um, World War II Museum or gone through it? I have not. I have not uh, been here a lot we'll fix for that. more. Uh, yes, <laughs> yes we, will, we will fix that today. <laughs> now, Alan, are you a long-time New Orleans resident? Um, I've been here pretty long time, yes, sir. Okay. I grew up in North Louisiana, but I've been here a long, long time. Okay, okay. <laughs> well, we have another accidental co-host with Absolutely. us, Kevin Fitzpatrick. <laughs> well, he is a Fitzpatrick, right? Yeah, he's a Fitzpatrick. Resident. Sometimes you got to watch out for Tanya, cause, because she'll uh, wheel you in here, you know, so it happens. But, uh, Alan, with, with, with all of the celebrations that are taking place in, in France and and here, this is a special time for the World War II Museum. Talk to us about some of the celebrations that and commemorations that will take place here in New Orleans. Well, um, we talked about that a little, the fact that we will have uh, things going on on June 6th at the museum. And... Um, We'll have, uh, of course, our uh, World War II veterans, uh, some of which did uh, land at D-Day. They're always at the museum. Uh, That's one of the special things that we have going there uh, is the fact that you can actually talk to these guys. uh, And they have their maps and their medals. And uh, not that they're showing off the medals because they don't consider themselves heroes, but uh, they certainly are in our eyes. Uh, Every World War II veteran, of course, gets into the museum free. Mm. Uh, They are uh, tagged so to speak, uh, with a badge that says they are a World War II veteran. And one of the most heartwarming things is to see uh, kids or adults or other people just in general walk up to them, give them a handshake or a pat on the back and say thank you for your service. There's, and there's not too many of them left. No. Uh, out of 16 million uh, Americans that served, uh, we have about 1.6 million left. Mm-hmm. And they're dying uh, at a rate between six and 750 a day, 600 
and 750 a day. So uh, that number is dwindling. I'm, I'm just curious, you know, where the honor flight will take World War II veterans to the... Oh, you're shaking your head. Sorry. But anyways, where the honor flight takes World War II veterans to see the um, memorial that's been created for them in Washington, D.C., does the honor flight bring veterans here? We have asked. Okay, well, we'll ask again. (laughs) We've asked and offered. Uh, It somehow has not uh, occurred. But again, Mm. talk about that pay grade level uh, that's a little further up <laughs> <laughs> yes we will now um alan at the museum as well you know do you talk about some of the uh, uh changing exhibitions you have and what you have right. coming up uh presently well. we have uh, a wonderful exhibit uh about um the japanese internment camps which was really one of the dark chapters uh in our history uh, these folks were Americans, uh, and they were rounded up just because they looked different. Uh, as a contrast, uh, the German citizens in America, uh, nothing was done to them. Uh, but these poor Japanese folks were rounded up and put in basically concentration camps, although they were not mistreated, but it was not the best of uh, conditions for them. But uh, it's called from... Um, uh, from barbed wire to uh, battlefields. And uh, one of the wonderful things that came out of this was the uh, Japanese regiment, the 442nd, uh, people like uh, Daniel Inouye that, of course, served in uh, mm-hmm. Congress, one of the longest-serving members, was a uh, participant, a member of that unit. Um, and uh, recently some of them have been recognized with congressional gold medals. Mm-hmm. And so our exhibit uh, in our space tells that particular story, and we're proud of that one because we did work with the Smithsonian to get a couple of items. Uh, but we always try to use our vast trove of uh, artifacts somewhere in the neighborhood of over 100,000 artifacts that we've okay. collected at the museum. So um, we do those uh, continually changing exhibits. Uh, that one just came in, so it's going to be uh, for in for quite a while. Mm-hmm. But we do uh, change those out on occasion. Alan, you had touched about the PT boat that's uh, being refurbished. Yes. Give us a sense about what the future holds for the museum in terms of expansion plans. Sure. And, uh, um, right now, uh, our Campaigns of Courage building has been completed on the outside, but we are uh, still mounting the exhibits for the inside. Uh, there will be uh, two main exhibits in there. One will be the road to Berlin, of course, telling the story after Normandy and uh, until the Germans surrendered. And then, of course, the uh, road to Tokyo will be the other uh, portion of that. And uh, one more building on the campus uh, will be built uh, in the midst of those two things coming together, and that will be the Liberation Pavilion. That will, of course, tell the story of the Holocaust with an Anne Frank exhibit. It Mm. will tell the story of the Monuments Men, the uh, recent book and now movie uh, that has uh, come out by our board member Robert Edsel, starring uh, George Clooney and others. And um, there will also be a feature, uh, of course, that talks about the stolen art uh, and how it was is still being recovered and returned to its rightful owners. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll have a story of the four chaplains, which is a very interesting chapter in World War II history about a ship that sank with four denominations of chaplains on board who stayed on board and perished. And then, of course, uh, we want to have a... Um, 
we are going to have a chapel, uh, interfaith chapel, that oh. will open out onto our parade ground and, of course, will be available for religious services and uh, eh, maybe a wedding or two. Who knows? I, I was thinking <laughs> or a vow renewal if we do that next hey, year. we'd be happy to host you. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think you might have to talk, do some talking over there. Though. We'll have to talk to a person with a pay, higher pay grade. Uh, yeah, hey. <laughs> so, Brad, how, how can uh, your domain is, is quite long, so please share that with our audience and uh, so that they'll know how to learn uh, oh, about more. Sure. Uh, www.nationalww2, not the Roman numeral, but the regular old Arabic number two museum, and it's .org, O R G. And uh, we have a very robust website. Uh, we're very proud of it. We get tons of visitors uh, to the website. Uh, there are sections uh, that the media can go to, of course. And, of course, kids who are trying to do their term papers can come and see us as well on the All website. Right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you to our audience for joining us for this first hour. And stand by because we have more of World Footprints to come, including interviews with prominent historians from the University of New Orleans who will share the history of African American. Americans in New Orleans and the history of voodoo. Also, we'll find out what controversy Hulk Hogan recently stirred up in New Orleans. In the interim, head to our website at worldfootprints.com for today's news and information and sign up for our newsletter at worldfootprints.com. And we're Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick broadcasting live from Tableau in the heart of the French Quarter. We'll be right back after this break. Gonna plant my feet on Rampon Street and be there for the Mardi Gras. I've been to Cuba, South America way.